0: This podcast is brought to you by the future of service lane technology, GoMoto. If you're ready to experience increased revenue, happier customers, and a more efficient service lane, then it's time to partner with GoMoto. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G O M O T O.com.
1: Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer 20% off a one year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, February 23rd, 2024. I'm Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Stellantis CEO, Carlos
2: Tavares gets a big pay boost. Carvana posts a smaller net loss in the fourth quarter, and Cruz gets set to put its robo-taxis back on the road. Plus, a look at some of the most common compliance mistakes happening in dealership F&I offices.
3: It's extremely problematic. A lot of people don't even know that they are doing it because this is just how the dealership has always done it.
2: Let's run through all the news
1: you need to know to keep up in the auto industry.
3: Stellantis CEO Carlos
1: Tavares' total compensation rose 56% in 2023 to about 36 million euros, almost $40 million. That compares with the 23 million euros he got in 2022. Tavares received 23 million euros in cash-invested equity in 2023, including a 10 million euro transformation incentive to meet milestones tied to challenges the auto industry is facing on global mobility technology and electrification. Stellantis said it led the industry in financial performance in the first half of 2023.
2: Carvana says its financial health improved significantly last year. The company continued working to cut costs and prioritize profitability. Those efforts helped the online used vehicle retailer post a narrower fourth quarter loss. In a letter to shareholders, Carvana said, By the end of 2023, it had cut more than $1.1 billion in annualized selling, general, and administrative expenses from the business since early 2022. The company reported a fourth quarter net loss of $114 million. That's smaller than the $806 million loss a year before. Revenue fell 15% to $2.4 billion. In the full year, Carvana reported net income of $450 million compared with a net loss of about $1.6 billion in 2022. Revenue fell 21% to $10.8 billion in 2023, as the company traded sales volume growth in favor of improving its ability to make a profit.
1: Vietnamese electric vehicle maker VinFast saw its losses widen during the fourth quarter. Revenue jumped as deliveries increased. The company reported a net loss of about $650 million in the quarter. That's comparable to its third quarter loss, about 3.4% more. Revenue was about $437 million in the fourth quarter, a 133% jump from the same period in 2022. The company reported a net loss of almost $2.4 billion for the full year in 2023. That's a 15% increase from 2022. Total revenue stood at about $1.2 billion, an increase of 91% from 2022. VinFast announced last month that it delivered about 13,500 cars in the fourth quarter, a 35% increase compared with the prior three months, and a total of more than 34,800 cars last year. And General Motors' robo-taxi unit, Cruise is getting ready to resume testing in the
2: coming weeks. According to people who spoke with Bloomberg, Houston and Dallas are emerging as possible locations for the test. Cruise grounded its fleet of robo-taxis last fall after one of its vehicles struck and dragged a pedestrian in San Francisco. Sources say the company is in talks with officials in several metro areas about resuming tests on public roads with safety drivers. Before suspending operations in October, Cruise had hundreds of cars in San Francisco and smaller numbers in Austin, Houston, and Phoenix. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, so it looks like Cruz is getting ready to resume robo-taxi testing. There are a couple cities that are in line for possible testing locations. But with all that's happened with Cruz in San Francisco, Jamie, if I'm a mayor or a city council member, do I even want my city to be the testing site for something like this?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a good question. You know, I think... You would only do it if you really were convinced that they had learned the important lessons from the San Francisco experiment, the whole process, right? Cruz was seen as you know confrontational and not cooperative with city leaders in San Francisco, really getting their authority from the state and then just kind of doing whatever they felt they wanted. And if you're the mayor, if you're on the city council, you would want to really feel like these guys want to be my partners, Uh, This company is here to help serve my citizens and they're going to put safety the very first and then really provide a service, especially to, you know, underserved areas, not just where the rich folks are, but you get them to commit to helping people who can't, you know, get around, can't get to healthy food. Pete Bigelow wrote about this a few years ago in Automotive News. And it's just, you know, these are the kinds of areas that really need super affordable transportation. Gotcha. Coming up, KPA's Ryan Daly says dealership compliance mistakes are
2: widespread in f offices all over the country. He joins the show to talk about what kinds of problems he's seeing and how to avoid them. That's next on Daily Drive.
0: We get it. Your service drive gets busy. Your advisors have a lot of responsibilities and sometimes your customers end up waiting around for help. If you could ease these challenges, And enhance everything about your service drive, why wouldn't you? It's time to reduce your customers' check in time using QR codes or mobile apps. It's time to give them the convenience they crave with the ability to pick up or drop off at any time of day. It's time to increase your service lane's revenue by offering upsells 100% of the time. Give your advisors more time back to focus on what they do best. Get your service lane a kiosk that can do all this and more. It will truly enhance everything.
1: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. From payment packing to fair lending issues to potential compliance pitfalls, the dealership finance and insurance office needs to continually review its internal practices to avoid errors. That's according to Ryan Daly, FNI district manager at Safety and Compliance firm KPA. He spoke with Automotive News Senior Editor Dan Schein about what mistakes he and other consultants are seeing in the F&I office. Ryan, really appreciate
4: you joining me today for the F&I edition of Daily Drive. Yeah, welcome to be here. So you were at NADA, along with a lot of other folks, uh, did a session on uh, common F&I mistakes, tips from an F&I compliance pro. I guess that's you. You must be the compliance pro. Nice. So, Tell me what you kind of cover. What are some of the common mistakes that people are making in their dealership F&I offices?
3: Yeah. So starting off with the presentation just goes with kind of what the government's talking about now is advertising. (laughs) Across the country, we service uh, 39 different states. And over every single one of them, we're seeing tons of advertising mistakes where the price is never going to be gotten to, the car doesn't exist. Lots of different pieces to the advertising puzzle that people are just doing wrong. Now, that's either because they just don't know that they're doing it wrong or they are purposefully doing it wrong, which we've seen the government take action definitely on the ones that are purposefully doing it wrong. So that's how I started the, uh, my topic with that, basically because it is the lowest hanging fruit. The government can Google you. I mean, you're on the websites, so they, they've got you right there. The second piece was how deals are being desked. So for me, this is where I just jump right back into my car sales background because I grew up in the car business and the very first deal that I did, they flat out told me we're packing this payment, but don't tell them. This is still going on 20 years later since I got into the car business. And for me, I would say that this is probably an intentional process if you're not having A common practice that you follow? Or is it a standard interest rate that you're using for everyone, an average uh, of 90 days, 60 days, whichever one it is? Or do you just decide what the interest rate is based on what they're driving, what they look like? These are problematic throughout the car business. And again, 20 years after I started doing it, it's still a problem. And a lot of that comes into training. A lot of places don't know that they need to have some sort of process that they're doing every deal. In a certain way, so that they can't say that they were discriminatory or packing payments or anything of that nature.
4: Are we talking? I mean, I know the right, there are people who are going to do it the wrong way, you know, just because it's, you know, more profitable for them or easier. How common would you think this is? Is this, I mean, it was just a few bad apples, as they say?
3: I I wouldn't say it's a few bad apples. Uh, I, I wish I could say that, but if I said it was just a couple, I probably wouldn't have a career. Industry wide, this is just how it was years ago 80s, 90s. Those people taught the people from the 80s to the 90s, and so on and so on. What we're trying to do is weed out those practices. You know, the government says, Any opportunity you have to deceive a customer, they truly believe you're going to try and do it. That is horrible to think because it's an industry that I worked in for a very long time. I still love it. I met some of the greatest people that I've ever met in my life, and then I've also met the other side of it as well. So it's extremely problematic. A lot of people don't even know that they are doing it because this is just how the dealership has always done it.
4: And not to make excuses for anyone, it, but it's their, you know, the compliance, the regulatory oversight has just kind of only gotten more increased, you know, from the, from the government. So I can understand sometimes you're like, you know, I'm not sure which way to go anymore or what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't, again, I don't want to make excuses, but it seems that it's the job is becoming more difficult these days.
3: It's increasingly difficult because of the scrutiny that it's getting. The good thing is that from where I was just literally handed my keys to my finance office when I was promoted and said, you have a deal coming back, go do it. There's now processes which a lot of dealerships have put into place of understanding compliance, understanding actually how to sell. Uh, I actually believe that when I was taught or not taught anything, I had to teach myself how to sell. I don't know that I was doing it compliantly. So understanding how to do it the right way probably will end up making you more money in the long run because you understand your product better, you can talk about it better, and you don't have to worry about figuring out a deceitful way to sell it to somebody just to make your money. A lot of people are just working their pay plans and that's how they're making their money, which is fine, but you want to make sure you keep that money in the long run so that the government can't come back and say, we would like all of that money that you made.
4: I'm guessing when you talk about best practices or how to do things the right way, I guess it comes down to one word and that's training?
3: Big time. So I wish I would have had this when I was learning. I would have loved to understand what I was doing wrong. The problem is a lot of people don't want to learn that because they do believe they're not going to make the money, which is not true. I was the compliance director at the last dealership I worked at. I ran very good numbers. It can be done. There are people all over this country doing it in a correct way and making a very good living doing it.
4: If I'm a GM or I'm a dealer principal, how should I approach this? How do I even know if my folks in the f and office are doing the right thing? And so how do you change that culture, I guess,
3: from bad actors to you know people who are doing things the right way. <laughs> thats that. Bad actors is great because we used to hire people all the time. They were, I run great numbers. My paper is always clean. And then you find out they've had seven or eight jobs in the past two years. Well, there's a reason for that because like you just said, bad actors. I think a very important part is having an actual oversight of what you're doing, of what it is you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. Because some places are doing things very well and some are Maybe be missing a couple steps here and there, but having a tried and true method on training your processes and somebody coming in saying, this is what you can get in trouble for is a big part of that. I never had that in my career. It would be amazing to see this where everyone would find something in their dealership to do this. If there's an internal process that can work, the problem I see with internal processes, they all work for the same company. Somebody on an outside company does not, and they have no bias in what they're looking at. They're just telling you this is what the laws are, this is how you can get in trouble, and this is how we fix it.
4: Again, I think it probably starts from the top down. If the either principal is looking, or the GM is looking the other way, then this is going to problem that's going to persist. They've kind of say put down from you know the dictum. This is this is the way we're going to do
3: it. We're going to do it honestly. Then I think probably things would change, right? Yeah. You know, total buy in shouldn't be, everybody should already have buy in, in my opinion. That's, of course, this is what I do for a living. But if top down approach is the best way, it, it's pretty much the only way to say this is how we're going to do it. We're not going to deviate from this at all, because that's what the government is looking for. And attorney generals across, and just regular attorneys with lawsuits. They're looking for that deviation of why'd you do it this way, this one time or multiple times. They're looking for patterns and they're looking to, for a reason to get into your pockets. That's the biggest thing they're just trying to do. This this is all about money because they think it's all about money for you.
4: There is no, I can say there is no shortage of F and I legal briefs that we run uh, weekly in, in automotive news, and these are you know these folks are keeping us in business somewhat. So that is true, <laughs> Ryan. Really appreciate the conversation. Uh, nice chatting with you. Yeah, great chatting with you. Ryan Daly is the F&I
1: District Manager at Safety and Compliance Firm KPA. He spoke with our own Dan Shine. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker.
2: Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer, as well as our own CJ Moore for her reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on dealership F&I, the latest
1: earnings results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back over the weekend for our latest Weekend Drive episode of the show. We'll dissect the vision that Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares has for making EVs profitable and competitive in the market with Automotive News electrification reporter Anna Lutz
0: automakers. Many of them started with really high priced EVs that had a long range, but we've seen more and more of them also saying that they need affordable vehicles, period, but also affordable EVs. So that requires a compromise that requires a shorter range or smaller battery.
1: If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode.